0: Welcome to the Men's Global Livestream. If you have a Bible, you wanna hold a couple spots, one in Psalm 103 and one in Acts chapter three. If you're joining us for the first time, we are in a new series called The City. Now, either you live in a city, you know, this is one of my favorites, or you live near a city and drive into the city, or you live in a region of a city. You got to fly into that city to get eventually to where you are. Like, I got to get to Oxford, Mississippi, but it's 85 miles from Memphis uh, next week. So you get the picture. It's city, kind of second circle, region, right? And the reason we're talking about cities is because cities are so important. Everybody listening to the sound of my voice should be concerned for the city that is near them and be active in prayer and at work in helping that city. Why? Because cities are hubs. They're centers of commerce, transportation, goods, services, they're seats of our governments, right? Cultural diversity is where you find, and this is what you find in the city. They're centers of art, science, technology. They're a refuge for people who are weak and can't live other places, right? They are magnets for the strong and they're also magnets for the vulnerable, right? Cities put people together who are not like each other, okay? There's pockets of cities, ethnicities, and that that's challenging, okay? It challenges the way you think, right? It challenges your views um, and it challenges the peace, right, of a city. There also, because of this density and activity, there is kind of a baseline in cities of restlessness and people seeking peace in, in the midst of that restlessness. You know, Sinatra, you know, had it right. You know, cities never sleep. Okay. Okay. Um, Now, all that combined should kind of lead us to one conclusion as well if you're a believer in Jesus Christ. Cities are also centers of epic spiritual warfare. There is a vying for control of cities in every dimension, in every level, socially, economically, and especially spiritually, right? So, this is why we're doing this series, uh, we're connected to one in some way, and that might not be a part of your daily thought, especially if you don't live in one, might be a part of your everyday thought, might be occasional thoughts. Now, why is this important? Well, for the practical reasons I just mentioned, okay? But secondly, the Bible declares that while man started in Genesis 1 in a garden go to the end, guess where we end up? <laughs> in a city, that's right, right? For God, the city is the fulfillment of his purposes. Think about that, right? His future redeemed world and universe is depicted in the book of Revelation as a city. That's why it says in Hebrews eleven ten 10 about God's man, Abraham, right? Old Testament. But you know what he sought while he was on earth? He sought the city whose builder and maker is God. So we're pilgrims, we're here on earth, but our destination, everybody, is a city. In fact, a city's God's idea, right? If the city's God's idea and God loves the city, we should too, right? And if you don't like cities, got some tough news for you. You're not gonna like heaven a whole lot, right? So, that's the second reason. The first reason, all the practical reasons, just the nature and placement and functionality of cities and just what's going on in them. Make them super important, should be important to you. Secondly, that's where we're gonna end up. The city is God's idea. And then third, the church's birth, right? Right here in the book of Acts. Guess where the church was birthed? Yeah, that's right, you guessed it. In a city, using who? A community of spirit-empowered men. So uh, it doesn't matter if you live in, in, a, in a rural area way far away from a city, in the second circle, or in the heart of the city. We have to teach the Bible. And when you teach the Bible, you gotta talk about the birth of the church. When you talk about the birth of the church, how did it happen? Spirit-empowered men being set loose in a city, filled with the Holy Spirit, transformed by the Holy Spirit, overflowing in specific ways, right, in the power of the Holy Spirit and transforming a city, a region, and the world. In fact, we're still in the blast zone of that event that happened in Acts chapter one and two, all right? Now, in part three, we're gonna look at the second way These men, in the character of Christ, flipped the script on broken male culture in a city, caught the attention of the city, and launched a massive revival. You know, guys, I just am convinced and believe that what birthed the church is going to bring back the king. I think we are seeing right now, turn on the news, right? check your Instagram feeds, there, is, there are revivals breaking out, and you know, there is, there's a revival for us men, and it's patterned right after the revival that launched and birthed the church, spirit-filled men who are transformed and they're overflowing in a city, bringing down a witness of Christ in that city, and we're looking right now at how that impacted the city, what they did, okay? now to get us going in the right direction for part three. All right, let me ask you a question. Have you ever felt alone in a circumstance of life? Something happens, right? And if you're honest with yourself, you feel like you're the only one going through it at the time. You ever felt that way? See. Things happen to us on earth at times they're not happening to others, right? Others hurt us while you see others who are not being hurt by others in their lives. In fact, you might be being hurt by someone and you are witnessing others enjoying great life-giving relationships. How does that make you feel in your circumstance? Alone, right? People seem to suffer losses disproportionately. It's like, why me? Why again? Why is this happening again? Why can't I catch a break, right? And then you look on Instagram at all of your friends, right, and their life is great. How does that make you feel? Alone. See, here's what happens when things happen to us and we experience like private pain, or we, so we think we're the only ones, right? And it's insidious, right? But it's a function of feeling alone and confused We start comparing how we're feeling about our lives on the inside with what we perceive is going on in others' lives on the outside, right? Pull up to a stoplight, you're going through stuff, and you're just like, man, that person driving that really nice car isn't going through what I'm going through, right? You start comparing your pain. Ever done that, right? You're feeling things are really bad for you and then all of a sudden everybody else's life looks so great. His marriage looks great. His family looks great. His financial situation looks great, right? And it's a it's a zero sum game. You you don't win. I mean, fact of the matter is that every one of us has some private pain that we'd love we'd love to resolve. Right? Doesn't matter how much money you make or how little money you make, it doesn't matter where you live, what you're going through, everybody struggles privately. Oh yeah, they might put on, you know, a public image or an Instagram picture of their lives, but guess what? It's impossible because it's earth. In fact, (laughs) that's what I say sometimes when I, I feel alone in my circumstances. Man, I just go, earth, right? So what about earth? Kenny? Well, Jesus said earth will bowling ball your life on a regular basis remember what he said in john 16 to the disciples before he said before he left he said in this world this broken unredeemed world that we live in uh, you will have tribulation not you might or some of you will or some of you won't you will have tribulation but take heart i've overcome the world what i appreciate about jesus is that he sets the expectation and isn't that the battle Right? It's a clash of expectations because if you watch TV, you know, it's five o'clock somewhere and uh, Snoop Dogg's on the beach, you know, uh, and he's having a a corona and people are are dancing, you know, because they're taking some pharmaceutical, you know, medication that solves their problem and everybody looks happy, you know. So the expectation is you should summit At some point, you should summit this satisfaction thing in life, stop struggling, summit, and it should just be smooth air, you know? But that's not life, that's not reality. Now, because these things are true, and because it's true of you, and it's true of everybody around you, that we experience private pain, because it's earth, now, is it all bad? No, but Jesus said, we're gonna get bowling balled. What do you think the opportunity is around us as men of God, filled with the Holy Spirit, loved by God, and free to see others? What do you you think the opportunity is for us to minister in the culture that we live in on this broken, unredeemed planet? What do the people around you need? What do the people in your city need? What do the people on your block need, right? Well, if you watch Jesus, and you watch his men. They gave people traveling the road of pain exactly what the doctor ordered. What's that you say? A living, breathing dose of compassion. And that's where we're headed today in part three. Because earth is filled with pain and people are experiencing private pain, the context for us to enter spaces and places and shift those environments, situations, and people toward God and his purposes is rich, right? This is Jesus. This is what characterized the disciples in the city of Jerusalem. The question is, is this you? Is it me? Is it us as a community of spirit-empowered men in our city or our town. So here's where we're going in part three. I want you to see God's heart when it comes to this issue of private pain. We want to see what he models when it comes to seeing people crushed in life and going through pain. Uh, And then what we want to do is we want to see what private pain actually does to people, what it does to you and me, what it does to others around you to create a context for spirit-empowered men and communities of men to minister powerfully, right? Nothing's meaningful without context, right? And then number three, based on the model of what we see in scripture of spirit-empowered men in a city encountering private pain, we wanna see what it looks like, looks what it feels like in real time and model our own actions as individuals and as a community on what these men do, these followers of Jesus. Now, take out your downloaded notes and let's take a look at God's heart for those who are in pain. At the top of your notes, you'll see his heart in Psalm 34, 18, all right? Let's read that together. The Lord is close to the brokenhearted. He rescues those whose spirits are crushed, all right? Notice the language. Where's God when it comes to people being in pain? When they're just, their hearts are broken. Is he near or far? No, he's close. That's what he models, all right? And then he takes action. Let's look at another verse, All right, Psalm 147, two and three. The Lord is rebuilding Jerusalem and bringing the exiles back to Israel. He heals the brokenhearted and bandages their wounds, okay? Um, Let's unpack, you know, some things that we see both in Psalm 34 and and Psalm 147, all right? Number one, write this down, God knows that earth is pain-filled. He knows what's going to happen. He knows that that there's people in pain, people are crushed, people suffer loss, they suffer trauma. I mean, even you right now, You might be going, man, does God really see me? Does God really know? Yes, he does, and he's not far. He's close, right? So God knows that earth is pain filled, but he's in the process of coming close, of rescuing and rebuilding, all right? Let's look at the second thing from these two passages. Second, God knows sympathy is not a substitute for action. When you look at God and you see, okay, there's private pain, This is how he feels, right? So he's sympathetic, right? His heart is touched when he sees people in pain, right? He's congruent in his person. He sees people in pain and he feels, right? But that feeling isn't a substitute for action, right? You see in both passages, right, he moves, physically, in his person, toward those, he rescues, all right? That's action. So he's close to the brokenhearted. He rescues. In the Psalm 147 passage, he's rebuilding and bringing the exiles back. He's healing. He's bandaging, right? So God knows that earth is pain-filled. God knows sympathy is not a substitute for action, all right? So we got to see God because he's our model. Number three, God knows real help produces real healing. What I love about the, the Psalm 147 passage is that it says that the Lord's rebuilding Jerusalem, right? So not only does he rescue, but he rebuilds, and then we see him bringing the exiles back. So he rebuilds, he returns people's circumstances to... The way it was before right real help right producing real healing and i love that there's a practical outward aspect to it but then there's a deeper inner work that has to be a part of it you know we all go through stuff we all go through loss some of us go through massive trauma right and you can fix the outsides right you can rebuild a life, you can rebuild a house. You went, but man, the deep inner work on the inside has to be a part of it. And so when we see God move toward the brokenhearted, toward people who have lost their home, you know that Jerusalem is the most conquered and the most rebuilt living city in human history. And it's kind of a metaphor for our lives, that, you know, we get to a certain point, and then we get knocked down, then we get rebuilt, and then we get knocked down, and then we get rebuilt, and then we get knocked down, and then we get rebuilt. What do you need to know, maybe, if you're in one of those downward turns, where it's just like, I lost my job, I lost this, I lost my family, I lost... God is rebuilding, and let's put your name in, in, in place of Jerusalem. God's rebuilding Paul, John, Randy, Sean, Charlie, God's rebuilding you and he's bringing you back and he wants to heal what's going on and he wants to restore you. This is what God models. So there's brothers out there right now whom God is rebuilding, but then there's us who are in this place where it's like, oh my gosh, man, we gotta, we gotta be like God. Well, what does that mean? That means we, we see, we feel, We rescue, we rebuild, we restore, we return. And then we also give not just the practical help, but we also address the deep inner work inside of people. We seek their freedom and healing uh, in God. Now there's a good summary verse, it's in Psalm 103. This is the spot I told you to hold, right? And it says this, the Lord gives righteousness and justice to all who are treated unfairly. He revealed his character to Moses and his deeds to the people of Israel. The Lord is compassionate and merciful, slow to get angry and filled with unfailing love. Now this is really what I want you to see because that passage summarizes those three observations in those first two scriptures, right? We see the character and the conduct of God. His character is full Of compassion for those who are in private pain and he is his conduct is that he moves toward them the deeds so we see his character is revealed his deeds to the people of Israel what did he do for him he rescued them he rebuilds their city he returns people and the city to its former place, and in the process, you know, he demonstrates who he is through what he does. So, by way of summary, let's write this down, okay? Um, When private battles are being fought, write this down, compassion alone speaks the loudest to people. I mean, isn't that what you want? Like, when you're in pain, and then someone intervenes for you in compassion and you just kind of say to yourself, man, you would do that for me? That's God. He does things for people and sometimes it's just shocking, right? And we see from God's character and God's conduct, when people are in pain, when they're brokenhearted, when they're crushed, compassion alone, it speaks, not sympathy Not words, not blame, like you put yourself in that situation or you deserve that or you didn't work hard enough or you should have thought of that in advance. Is that what you need when you're hurting someone to give you a lesson in what you didn't do or who you you aren't, right? Or that you chose this somehow, that somehow it's related to, you know, that you chose this path? for yourself that ended you up in such pain or maybe like Job's friends like, oh, you must, be, you must be sinning, that's why bad things are happening. That is not what people need, that's what we're gonna see. Now, before we go there, we gotta see how private pain impacts people. It is ubiquitous, that's a fancy word for everywhere. Every workplace, every city block, every business, every playground, every town, region, community, pain is everywhere. It has to be because Jesus said it would be. This world is unredeemed, but God is with us, God is in us, and God wants to use us to change the world around us. But we have to see what is going on. We have to see the spiritual battle. So let's look at what is happening everywhere around us in people's lives, right? Write this down. Number one, private pain isolates people relationally, okay? You ever been in that circumstance, that tough situation? I mean, isn't it isolating? I mean, you're living something that other people aren't living. Now, I'm sure other people are. You just, you don't know them or you can't see them. Uh, whatever it is that that we're experiencing is common to man. But the way we process it is, well, in my circle, in my community, on my block, I'm the only one going through this. And you know who wants you to believe that? The devil. Yeah, you're all alone, right? Because that's what predators want. They want to separate you from the regular flow. They want to get you by yourself, right? And The Bible talks about this. I love the Bible because it's real people going through real things, expressing real thoughts and emotions. Listen to the psalmist in Psalm 38. He says this, I am exhausted and completely crushed. My groans come from an anguished heart. You know what I long for, Lord? You hear my every sigh. My heart beats wildly. My strength fails. I'm going blind. My loved ones and friends stay away fearing my disease. Even my own family stands at a distance. And you know, as a culture, we've kind of trained ourselves to stay at a distance. Pandemic didn't help, right? I mean, we need contact, especially during tough times. This is what private pain does to people. It isolates them relationally, okay? And and the Bible says it's not good for a man to be alone. Okay, so do you see this dynamic? And you know what, if there's one thing God hates more than anything, it's loneliness. We see it from Genesis to Revelation. He hates loneliness and he hates the circumstances that make people feel like they are all alone. That is God's heart. But you know, the culture has trained us to protect ourselves. Oh, that's too much. I don't know what to do. I can't fix that. It's gonna get too emotional, right? We come up with all these rationalizations, justifications, and excuses for leaving people alone in their circumstance. And not only is that wrong, and, and that, that does not reflect the love and justice of God. Uh, But it's also a spiritual battle, all right? So private pain, you need to know, isolates people relationally. Maybe you're experiencing that right now, okay? Can I just encourage you to do something, brother? Just reach out to a brother and tell him what's going on. Don't let your circumstance isolate you. Talk to God, talk to other people. We're all going through it, man and just receive some help. Number two, private pain confuses people mentally. So it isolates people relationally, right? It confuses people mentally. Okay, and I think we can all relate to this. And where does the confusion start? Well, it starts with our expectations being messed with. Okay, where we go through life and we have expectations on how things should go. And then, Life bowling balls us, and then the collision of our expectations and the reality of private pain comes in, whatever it is, whatever kind of pain it is, whatever loss, trial, difficulty, delay, um, trauma comes in, and that just shatters our expectations into a million pieces. We didn't expect to lose someone at the time we did. an elder in my church, he didn't expect to get cancer um, at 53 and um, not walk his daughter up the aisle. Um, I didn't expect to get hit by a drunk driver. I didn't, I didn't expect um, one brother and then another brother later on to commit suicide. So, so confusing. Um, and if everybody's in private pain, that means everybody had an expectation on how they thought something might go and then it didn't go their way. You know, you might have family members who are going through stuff. You might have a spouse that's going through something. Man, it's confusing, all right, when you have expectations. Now, in scripture, we see this all over the place, but I just, I just picked one out. You know, when God's people didn't expect to be taken hostage and brought to a foreign country. And it expresses that in Jeremiah 51. says this, Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, has devoured us. He has thrown us into what? Confusion. He has made us an empty jar. Like a serpent, he has swallowed us and filled his stomach with our delicacies and then has spewed us out. You ever feel like you're getting chewed up and spit out? By your circumstances that you did not script into your life that are unwelcomed and they are interruptions into what the plan that, that that you had. I mean, it's like, why now? That's confusing. Why again? More confusion. I mean, things were going so good. It's confusing then when Earth bowling balls the plan. And man, that makes us that makes us vulnerable right isolation makes us vulnerable and suggestible hello there's a person who wants to exploit that private pain confuses us mentally so relationally we're separated from people we feel so distant we're confused because our our expectations for life or a, a relationship or a job or a career or that that gets destroyed um We're vulnerable, all right? Let's look at the third dynamic. Private pain deceives people spiritually. And this is kind of one plus two equals three. If you're isolated relationally, right? That means you're not, there's no peninsulas of relationship. You feel all alone in your circumstance. You might be swimming in people, but you have private pain. That's the dominant force that that relationally isolates you. Nobody's going through this except for me private pain confusing you mentally, right? This is unscripted. This is so confusing. The ground is shifting underneath my feet, right? You are vulnerable to deception, right, under trial. And that's where we go to James chapter one because there's there's an element to it that he talks about. It says this, blessed is the one who perseveres under trial because having stood the test, that person will receive the crown of life that the Lord has promised to those who love him. Listen to the dynamic. When tempted under trial, no one should say, God's tempting me. For God cannot be tempted by evil, nor does he tempt anyone. But each person is tempted under trial when they are dragged away by their own evil desired and, and enticed. And then after desires is conceive, conceived, it gives birth to sin. And sin, when it is full grown, gives birth to death. Don't be deceived, my dear brothers. Wow. Don't be deceived. But you see how the context of temptation and deception of yourself, behind which the deceiver is involved, right? The context is trial and testing. Enter tempting thoughts and temptations. Why? Because you're isolated relationally, you're confused mentally, and now you're going to start to get deceived spiritually, right? And you're tempted. You're tempted to believe that somehow God's behind this, right? And, And James takes it right on. No one should say when you're under trial, hey, God's tempting me. Well, God did this to me. No, God's not doing that to you, all right? There's a deceiver. We have disordered desires on the inside, right? And then we have a culture that normalizes um, dealing with our, our problems and issues in a certain way. All right, so private pain isolates people relationally, it confuses people mentally, it deceives people spiritually. All right, and the admonition and warning is don't be deceived in the middle of all that. So scripture kind of tells us, and listen, this is where people are at, count on it. Wherever you are right now, people are isolated in their problems. Uh, their problems confuse them. And their, their problems uh, deceive them into thinking, oh man, this is, man, God's abandoned me, or this is fatal, this is final. And they believe those things, and then they behave out of their beliefs and give in to temptation because of deception, spiritually. And that's sponsored by Satan. So how does Jesus, how do you, how does the community of God's men in a in a city that's filled with pain, all right? So we gotta, we gotta target rich environment to help people, okay? That's what I want you to hear in all of this. Not just that everything's bad, but actually it creates a context for you to really be God's man in a meaningful way uh, to the people in your city and life. So, in your city, how is pain relieved? What did, what did Jesus do? What did His men do? What do we do as spirit-filled communities? Well, pain is relieved through compassionate action, right? And let's let's walk through what compassionate action communicates to the people around you and in your city. All right. Number one. Acting compassionately reveals my identity. Write that down. Acting compassionately reveals my identity. Well, what does it say about you? Well, if you look at Jesus, it says you're free. Look at what G- how Jesus acts, right? Mark 1, 40 through 41. A man with leprosy came and knelt in front of Jesus, begging to be healed. If you are willing, you can heal me. Make me clean, he said. Moved. With compassion, Jesus reached out and touched him. I am willing. Be healed. Like, you gotta know the cultural context of this, right? So here you have a man with leprosy, and he's asking for Jesus to do the impossible. What's Jesus? Just to touch him. Why? Because no one touched a leper. In Jesus' time, no one would come close. In fact, lepers culturally were trained to shout out, unclean, unclean, especially if they were around a holy person. So here's Jesus. And man, this this is a leper taking a huge risk, going in front of a holy man, begging him to heal him. And the only one way to do that is to touch him. Can you imagine? I don't know how old this this guy is, but he's been a leper his whole life or for a good portion of his life. He doesn't get touched. Think about that. Um, no one spends time with him. No one talks to him. And then no one touches him. I mean, those are those are the three things that communicate value and Um, and worth. But in doing what Jesus did, he reveals that he lives not for what culture says to do, not for what the men around him are doing, but he lives for an audience of one. He's free of the opinions of men. Now he's revealing his identity in God and in the Father. And that's what happens when men act compassionately by Jesus. Guess what? We break rules, we cross lines, we upset the cultural norm, because that's what Jesus did. So this is Jesus, Jesus is in you, this is you, this is us, right? Are you free to break the rules and to cross lines in the character of Jesus and express compassion? So acting compassionately reveals your identity in the community that you live in, it reveals our identity collectively as communities of spirit-empowered men. Number two, acting compassionately acknowledges reality. Acting compassionately acknowledges reality. Write that down. I love this. It's so simple. Matthew uh, chapter 14, verse 14 says this. When Jesus landed, okay, got to a new spot, and saw, right, and saw a large crowd, he had compassion on them. And healed their sick. So I just want you to just look at the verbs and the actions. So Jesus landed through his eyes. He saw with his eyes uh, people in pain, right? He then feels, he lands, he sees, he feels. He had compassion on them. The Greek word for compassion is splegnisose. It means from the gut. It's just like, boom, gut punch, oh. He lands, he sees, gut punch, compassion. He's hitting the gut with what he sees. He's moved, and then he acts. He lands, he sees, he feels, He acts, come on, say it with me. He lands, he sees, he feels, he acts. Wow, that's Jesus. Jesus is in us, this is us. What did Jesus do? He acknowledged reality, right? I mean, isn't that the best definition of compassion? It's the difference between denying something and walking by it versus embracing you know reality Jesus landed he saw he felt he acted right he doesn't deny what's going on in front of him he sees it he embraces it he acts right but in contrast to what well others right they they they're denying what they see they're running from what they see they hide from what they see you know we all do that sometimes it's just too much it's like i can't fix all the world's problems i can't you know but And you're right. There's no way. That's why there's 2.3 billion of us walking planet Earth right now. Think about it. Filled with the Holy Spirit, transformed by God, overflowing to impact the world around us, to be salt and light through the exercise of compassion. What does that look like? Compassion is simply the difference between denying reality and embracing reality, right? It's a difference between running from reality versus engaging reality, hiding from reality, and then going toward reality. We jump inside, right? The problem, okay? So acting compassionately reveals your identity. That's what we see in Jesus. He's free. We're free in our identity. Audience of one shows people who we are. We break the rules, we cross the lines, just like Jesus did. Acting compassionately acknowledges reality, right? We land, we see, we feel, we act. Third, acting compassionately delivers dignity, okay? And I can't think of a better place where this is shown than in Luke 10 in the parable of the Good Samaritan. I just have a couple verses from that story, but just listen in on how the Good Samaritan delivered dignity. But a Samaritan, the Bible says, as he traveled, came where the man was, and when he saw him, he took pity on him. He went to him and, and bandaged his wounds, pouring on oil and oil, oil and wine, and then he put him on his own donkey, and then he brought him to an inn, and he took care of him. Okay, and, you know, in the following verses, he tells the innkeeper, Hey man, I got it. You know, whatever it costs, I got it. What did the good Samaritan do? Well, yeah, he did a lot of practical things, but what did he give the person in pain he He delivered dignity, but how, how did how did he deliver it by divesting himself of his own? What we didn't read is the the spiritual guys, right? They see the same person, and they go on the other side of the street, right? I can't get him off. It's too much. I'm holy, right. And then Jesus tells a story about a very hated person culturally during his time and among his people, the Samaritans, right? There were there this huge ethnic divide. So he, he takes the, the disliked person in culture, makes them the hero, and then has that person delivering dignity to a person who's lost their dignity and is in pain, right? How did he do that? Well, he replaced his own position. He gets off the donkey. He lifts the other person up on the donkey. Dignity, right? He puts aside his agenda and makes that person his agenda. Dignity, right? No ability to pay, that's okay. I'll take care of the bill. Dignity, value, worth. My time, okay, you religious guys, you gotta get to wherever you're going while someone's hurting. You're not stopping, I'm stopping. He's worth my time. Dignity, right? Acting compassionately reveals your identity, it acknowledges reality, but man, it delivers. Dignity, it jumps inside the skin of someone who's Hurting. And what I love about the Samaritan is that, you know, he didn't allow himself to be at peace until he'd restored the peace of the person who was in pain. He went all the way, right? He you know, throw a band-aid on it. And the situation called for more. He took it all the way. And isn't that just like the Lord? The Lord rebuilds Jerusalem. He brings the exiles back, right? He rescues them. He heals the brokenhearted. Here we just see this parable of God's heart and what He wants us to do as His followers, you know? Number four, acting compassionately ignites urgency. So it reveals our identity, it acknowledges reality, it delivers dignity, and then it ignites urgency. Listen to this other vignette in Matthew 9 uh, where Jesus is involved. When he saw the crowds, he had compassion on them, right, because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. Then he said to his disciples, the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. Ask the Lord of the harvest, therefore, to send out workers into the harvest field. So there's that word again there's that image again. You have Jesus, he sees, he feels, he acts, right? He sees they're harassed and helpless, like sheep without a shepherd. And then there's this transition. Then, does he do it himself? No. He displaces the urgency and the say, the compassion in him, and then he just puts it on his disciples. It's like, guys? See that? You see what I'm saying? The harvest is plentiful. Let's say that together. The harvest is plentiful. You know what made the harvest plentiful? Private pain, helplessness, harassment, isolation, confusion, deception spiritually, right? The harvest is plentiful. I want you to make the connection between what Jesus sees and then the connection to a plentiful harvest. This is going on all around you. There's a plentiful harvest all around you. And especially if you are connected to a city, whether you're in the region, you're in the second circle, or you live in a city, man, the harvest is plentiful. And this is where at every man, this is where we're going, man. We believe what Jesus said. Wherever there's crowds, wherever there's density, man, people are getting harassed and they're helpless and the harvest is plentiful. And there's gotta be an urgency to it. And so even as Jesus says, look, people are in pain, I can't touch them all, but guess what? Together we can, the harvest is plentiful, workers are few. Let's get the workers together. That's why here at Everyman, man, we are igniting urgency for the city, right? Where it's dense and it's crowded and we're all connected to one, right? And people are harassed and people are helpless, right? They're like sheep without a shepherd. Man, we need to go in there. And we need to act compassionately. We need to gather, we need to get filled, transform, and then we need to overflow, man. And that's why connected to every dangerous good city transformation conference is a dangerous good, get this, servolution. We're in compassion, We're gonna partner with government agencies. We're gonna partner with nonprofit agencies. We're gonna partner with churches, homeless shelters, food banks, you name it. Wherever we go, spirit-filled men are gonna gather. We're gonna get filled, we're gonna get transformed, and then we're gonna overflow into that city. On one day, man, pray. Pray, 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 pray. End of 23, 24, man, it's coming. And we might, we might be coming to a city near you, 20 cities is a lot of cities, but we need the Lord and you to get behind it in prayer and to give, contact us. But back to this, when you act compassionately, you tell people I'm free to break the rules of culture to help people. When you act compassionately, you're delivering dignity to people who've lost their dignity. When you act compassionately, It ignites urgency and it doesn't mean that you have to be the solution like Jesus didn't make himself the solution for everybody. He displaced what he was feeling and man, he laid it on thick on the disciples and he ignited some urgency in them, all right? Number five, acting compassionately reflects my accountability. This is big. Because what I want you to know right now is that eternity and those who share in it, listen, they have something in common with their king. All right, we're going to read about that in Matthew 25. It says, then the king, Jesus, will say to those on his right, come, you who are blessed by my father, take your inheritance. The kingdom prepared for you since the creation of the world. For I was hungry, and you gave me something to eat. I was thirsty, and you gave me something to drink. I was a stranger, and you invited me in. I needed clothes, and you clothed me. I was sick, and you looked after me. I was in prison, and you came to visit me. So what does eternity and the people who get to be there with their king what are the common denominators well we see two right away compassion for those who are in need and the character to act on it period you know and this is the this is the literal come to jesus moment that is coming all right that is coming it's not it's not like hey come you're blessed enter your inheritance because you studied the bible doesn't say that. Hey, come enter my inheritance because you got together with your men's group. Doesn't say that. Hey, come enter my inheritance because you attended the right church. Doesn't say that. Know what he says? Come take your inheritance for the kingdom prepared for you. For, and here's the reason I was hungry, you fed me, I was thirsty, you gave me something to drink, I was naked, you clothed me, I was sick, you comforted me, I was in prison and you came to visit me. You know what God hates? Conditions that create loneliness. He enters the private pain, and the king is gonna wanna know, you know, did you do that? And this is, this is where we reiterate the point. Sympathy isn't a substitute for personal, energetic action. And you know what? We don't have to look far, guys. It's all around us. There's private pain all around us. You know, there's there's literal poverty, but there's spiritual poverty, right? There's literal pain and suffering, and then there's emotional abandonment and pain, right? But it's suffering, it's pain, people are going through it. They feel isolated, confused, and then they start to think about some things, and the deceiver lies to them and says, yeah, you are alone, nobody cares about you, right? And in their confusion he exploits it and he lies to them. And he lies to them about who they are, about their worth, and even about their, their chances of living, right? And then those lies are believed, and then people behave out of those beliefs and they, they destroy themselves further and might even destroy themselves ultimately not with us there, that's not the model. So here's Jerusalem. Something gets into this community of men. The Holy Spirit, okay? Men are filled, men are transformed, and then men start flipping the narrative. At this time in our culture, that's exactly what God is up to, especially when it comes to men who've been labeled right? Toxic, broken alpha male, right? Traditional male culture, right? Somehow we're all strong, but we have no character. Okay, but you know what these guys did? Man, they flipped it. They flipped the broken male culture of their time and in the character of God, expressed in Jesus, and now the Spirit of Christ living in them, they move. And that's what I want to look at next. Right? Spirit-empowered men act compassionately. Bottom line, okay? In part two, we, we saw how do they impact the city? They release captives. In this part, we're saying spirit-empowered men act compassionately in the places where they live, as individuals and as communities of men. Now, here it is in Living Color, Acts chapter three, verses two through six, let's read it. Now, a man who was lame from birth was, was being carried to the temple, gate called Beautiful, where he was put every day to beg from those going into the temple courts. When he saw Peter and John about to enter, he asked them for money. Peter looked straight at him, as did John. Then Peter said, look at us. So the man gave them his attention, expecting to get something. Uh, And then Peter said, Silver or gold, I do not have. But what I do have, I give you. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, walk. Wow. Spirit-empowered men walking from a prayer meeting to church. Encounter somebody, and like Jesus, they see, they feel, they act, they give what they have and they're like, we're gonna prophesy over you, we're gonna pray over you in this space. Now, I don't know how long that guy hadn't come there, but I know this, it was a long time. And there was a rhythm to him being there, people seeing him, people walking by, maybe they throw him a coin or two, they just keep going. But he's planted outside of a church because people who are going into church are supposed to have compassion. I think you get the point. God is up to something. And just as the church was started with the spirit of God getting inside of men, right? Filling them, transforming them, and then this same community of men in a city overflowing, breaking the rules, showing that they're free to cross the lines, to do things that are different than what everybody normally sees men and even religious men do, which is ignore the problems that they see, the pains that they see. Instead, like Jesus, you see in Acts two through seven, spirit-empowered men getting after it. Wow, and, and in a the process, they're revealing their identity, they're acknowledging reality like Jesus, they're delivering dignity They're igniting urgency, and uh, it reflects that they have a sense of accountability to God, do you? I think you know um, what's coming. (laughs) Yes, you do, just like I do. In the spaces and places where I work, where I live, where I pray, where I play, where I walk the streets, where I go to the store, my neighborhood, I have a responsibility, right, to relieve pain. So spirit-empowered men, right? They release captives, they relieve pain. We're going to see as we go forward in this series, um, there's some other things that spirit-empowered men do in a city that turns that city and the world upside down forever, all right? But for now, come on, let's pray. Come on, man of God, let's, let's pray together. Lord, Lord, <sighs> I have to take a big, deep breath, God, because, man, when I see you move, Jesus, when I see the model, when I reflect on your heart, man, you're close. You're not far from brokenhearted people. And forgive me, forgive me for seeing and, man, not moving, right? Not acting i having compassion, Lord. I know that I can't help everybody, and neither can any man on the other end of my voice right now, but you do give us opportunities. There's opportunities all around us every day because earth is not redeemed yet, which means that people are going through it. And we pray, Jesus, that you would give us your heart to see the isolated, to see the confused, to see the deceived, to enter into that space and bring real help and healing to people as individuals. And then I pray for men's groups and I pray for pastors and their men. Lord, that there would be a witness like this, that it would turn a city upside down. And Lord, we do pray for the Dangerous Good City Transformation Initiative together, God, that we would somehow all be a part of it, Lord. And I know that there are men even right now and you've blessed them. I pray that they would bless their city by bringing one to their city, blessing their city and seeing spirit-filled men released by the thousands through a conference in their city to do what we just read about, Men going into little spaces and places by the thousands, praying for people and seeing the miracles of God, Lord, bringing down the glory of God. And so, Lord, we commit that and we commit ourselves to being like you, Jesus, men of compassion. So hit us in the gut today, Lord, and help us live out our truest identity in you. In Jesus' name, amen. We'll see you next week.